The following is a production of SAK Digital Ventures. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, a place where you can sit back, relax, smoke a cigar, and talk about Chicago sports. Now, here's your host, Steve Cass. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, episode 32, White Sox Off-Season Breakdown. You have reached your best place for cigars and on Chicago sports, and I'm going to set the scene for you. We are at The Place, the Cigars and Sports Chicago Studios, 5236 Main Street in Downers Grove, Illinois. That's The Place. What is The Place? It's a cigar lounge, and we encourage you to come join us anytime at 5236 Main Street, Downers Grove. It's a great atmosphere, great selection of premium cigars, great place to watch a game. You know, you can't drink, but you can do whatever else you want over here. All right, you can also follow us on Twitter, at Cigars and Sports. And you can get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. But you probably know that because you're listening to a podcast. So as always, I uh, went on, what are you smoking? How's life? Yeah, everything's going great, trying to get through this cold weather. Uh, I'm enjoying a nice... Uh, rare cigar, a Fuente Forbidden X that was given to me by uh, one of my sons, and uh, kind of a special little cigar, so I'm enjoying that, and looking forward to, since this is a baseball issue, uh, next week being the Super Bowl, uh, it's kind of a happy and a sad for me, sad that the football season's ending, but happy because I immediately go into baseball mode when the football season's over, and... Uh, I'm kind of excited about that aspect of it, and maybe that the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue comes out right around that time too. So, but uh, no, looking forward to baseball. By the way, Phil, you you don't if you want to look at women in swimsuits. Um, there's this thing called Instagram. There's other ways of going about that. So you know, we could introduce you to that at some point. All right, we're going to get to a little early Super Bowl preview in a little while, but we're going to get right at it with baseball and we are going to go right to our very special guest on cigars and sports chicago tonight we have josh nelson if you're a a white Sox fan and are active on white Sox twitter or follow any local sports media you know josh he's the host of the Sox machine podcast he's a contributor on bernstein and holmes on the score and you can, by the way, follow him on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh. Josh, thanks a lot for joining us. How you doing? I'm doing well. This must be uh, Jerry Reinsdorf's favorite podcast to listen to. You guys combine Chicago sports and cigars. His two loves in his life now. Uh, so Jerry's got to be, you know, chiming in with you guys, right? Like sending emails, text messages. Oh, every sharing day. Some, <laughs> sharing some information. You know? In fact, just this afternoon, I asked him who is going to be playing second base, and uh, he he did not he did not respond. And Josh, I don't know how you became a Niner fan, but you can tell us that story as well. But I guess my question for you is because you are a Niner fan, uh, what are the San Francisco, otherwise known as the San Mateo Forty ers going to do at quarterback next year? I think there's a eighty percent chance that'll be Tom Brady starting Week One. It sounds like in. Before Brady signed with Tampa Bay, 
that he contacted San Francisco about their interest. San Francisco said no. After Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl, Tom Brady contacted San Francisco to see if there was interest. San Francisco said no. But now with the news that Brock Purdy needs reconstruction on his throwing elbow, it just seems fitting that if Tom Brady really wants to end his career back home where he grew up in San Francisco, that the stars are aligning here, which the 49ers have some questions at quarterback one. And uh, with Purdy possibly needing Tommy John surgery, which is really rare for NFL quarterbacks needing to get that. Yeah, at this moment, I'm feeling that the time is going to be finally right in which Tom Brady joins the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, I actually would put that as my no-brainer as well. And I have a lot of Bay Area people who are saying, you know, various things. But to me, it's just no-brainer. I mean, the guy obviously wants to go somewhere where he can win a Super Bowl. You know, he's got a team that has absolutely everything except for a quarterback. So that is – and by the way, they run the football, which is where he has had his most success. So, I mean, it's a no-brainer. So – but you know what, Josh and Phil, let's talk a little bit about the uh, Chicago White Sox, as painful as that may be. So first I have a question for you, Josh. When Pedro Grafal makes up the lineup card on March 30th to play Jose Abreu and the Houston Astros and lefty Framber Valdez is on the mound, I have a, I have a sort of a quick warm-up question for you. Who will be the right fielder of the Chicago White Sox on opening day? All right, I think this may surprise White Sox fans, but I'm not going to go with Oscar Colas. I think we're going to see Aloy Jimenez to start the season in right field and opening day against a left-handed starting pitcher just because it's a left-handed starting pitcher, and I'm not quite sure Pedro Grafal and the White Sox coaching staff is ready to go to send in an unproven talent, even though he has he had a really good season last year, Oscar Colas did, in A and AAA for the Chicago White Sox to face a left-hander of the quality of Valdez and who would be DHing for the White Sox is whatever right-handed bat could be available who breaks the team, the 26-man roster. But even though I think Aloy Jimenez is the opening day right fielder, it will quickly transition to Oscar Colas getting the majority of the playing time there. But for that particular game, uh, don't be surprised if it's Aloy going up against a left-handed starter. So yes, that um, was an actual trick question that obviously knowing the title of the episode of of Sox Machine this week, I I didn't exactly think that was going to get by you. But yeah, there's absolutely no question. I mean, there's nobody out there for them to get. You know, they're obviously teasing the right field thing for him. It's, It's a no brainer. And it's obviously a little bit scary. First of all, defensively, he's probably better than both Sheets and Vaughn were last year in the outfield, but clearly looking at the stat cast numbers, the arm is going to be a problem out there. And not to mention the fact that he'll probably end up tripping over himself at some point. But yeah, he's, uh, he's going to be out there for opening day. I don't even think there's a question unless he can possibly pre-injure himself in spring training. So just getting at it, how would you evaluate kind of big picture the White Sox offseason, you know, what kind of grade do you give it? What do you think the, you know, the positives and negatives are? Maybe you could just give us a quick overview on your take. Sure. So what I liked from the White Sox offseason was the Andrew Benatendi signing. And the more we dive into it as far as the data and watching some of the film from last year and his past success, 
the signing continues, uh, f- from my perspective, looks better for the Chicago White Sox. I think that Ben Attendee could provide an immediate impact into the White Sox lineup. More than likely batting second, especially against right-handed starters. Maybe he drops down the lineup for Grafal against left-handed starters. So maybe he's not batting behind Tim Anderson on opening day. But more times than not, we're going to see Ben Attendee batting second. Uh, I think Pedro Grafal so far has been a good hire for the White Sox. He's breathing Can't be worse. A, a renewed focus. Uh, some enthusiasm into the job that we have not seen in the last couple of years under Tony La Russa. That's the difference, I think, between someone that's managed a long time like La Russa and someone that's getting their first job uh, like uh, Pedro Grafal has. What I don't like, I did not like the Mike Clevenger signing to start off with, and boy, that looks terrible with every passing day of the accusations going up against Mike Clevenger, and now it is going to be dragging the Cleveland Guardians into this investigation for Major League Baseball, being peppered with questions about what did you know back in 2019 regarding Mike Clevenger. Uh, so that situation continues to get worse. They did not address second base. I hate that strategy because you have a rookie manager coming in, and now he's got to have to figure out who's going to start every day at, at second base. I had a C- minus for the White Sox offseason grade, and then the Clevenger news hit, and now I dropped him to a D- minus because if Clevenger is suspended to start the season – you really don't have any starting pitching depth. And Mike Clevenger was your first free agent signing. And we don't have clarity until spring training starts of where we are with Michael Kopech and his, and his rehab. So the White Sox could be starting with like three and a half, four starting pitchers. And they don't have a day off uh, to start the year. They have four straight games in Houston. Then they got to hop on a charter flight. And they have their home opener on Monday uh, of that uh, beginning part of April against the San Francisco Giants. And right now, I, I would say it's going to be Davis Martin making that start for the White Sox. But if Kopech's not ready to go for the Houston series, maybe it's Kopech. But I don't know what version of Michael Kopech that you have. The Do we have any depth, reports? Sorry about that. Do we have any yeah. reports on Kopech and where his rehab is at? So the last report that we got from pitching coach Ethan Katz is that he's slightly behind schedule. Uh, the goal after spring training would be getting Kopech up to the ability of throwing 80 pitches and lasting five innings. That is their hope to start the season uh, with the difference between this spring training being the first full normal spring training we've had since 2019 because of the lockout and COVID uh, that they were, they're hoping that all the other starting pitchers for the White Sox, Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, that they're going to be close to full speed, and they should be able to throw 90 to 100 pitches. That's the difference right now. But with, with Kopech, the hope is five innings, 80 pitches to start the year. Well, first of all, going to the second base situation, and this is where it becomes difficult to even understand what it is that they are thinking. Because for an additional $4 million, you could have kept, you know, one and a half B-war Josh Harrison, who defensively is highly competent. And actually, probably after June 1st last year, was a serviceable hitter. I mean, he's fine. Um, you know, and now we've got, you know, my, you know the options being Lenin Sosa, who, you know, limited action, but frankly did not. And he's young. He's quite young. Um, did, you know, did not look good at all. Roma Gonzalez, who re- is really not great defensively, and he can't hit. And both of those guys were about a negative half for last year. 
So, and those are really your only two options, unless you're going to go with the great Larry Garcia, um, who really not even a major league player. So I really don't know what the hell that they are going to do at second base. I mean, there's really no options out there. You know, you go to um, the best available second base. You got Donovan Solano, you know, formerly with, uh, you know, with Cincinnati last year, who, by the way, would be a hell of a lot better than anything that they have. But they just seem fine standing pat because if they weren't and go to the rotation depth, go to Michael Waka, give him $10 million, and just get them over here. I mean, what am I missing? Internally, it's back to the budget. And right now, the White Sox 26-man opening day payroll is going to be around $180 million. And when you add in the other salaries of the 40-man roster and then benefits, et cetera, et cetera, the luxury tax number is probably going to be around $200 million for the Chicago White Sox. And I just don't know if Jerry Reinsdorf has the appetite to continue to add that type of spending. I don't even know if the rest of the White Sox board, uh, the other officers – would allow Jerry Reinsdorf to continue that kind of spending to go into the luxury tax. I think the White Sox are spending up to and trying to avoid the first tax level of the luxury tax. So that's why it's very easy for us to say, yes, go sign Michael Waka. Uh, Go make a trade to find a second baseman right now. That's not going to be making another team's opening day roster. But for the White Sox, I think I'm getting the inkling that it's a budget reason why they're sticking with internal options at second base. And like I mentioned, and I think you pointed out as well, Steve, I hate this strategy. I think this is a revolving door waiting to happen where we could see four-plus players make 20-plus starts at the position for the White Sox. And that's really not a good formula, especially with the shift being banned. Your second baseman will need to have more lateral movement and rely on that. And what is Tim Anderson supposed to do as far as to build rapport, especially when turning double plays up the middle, when he is not going to have a consistent double play partner at second base? So this is why when you have a rookie manager, I thought the White Sox should have targeted someone like Colton Wan, a left-handed second baseman. I know he didn't have a great defensive season last year for Milwaukee, uh, but that may have been a fluke kind of thing for him because of the lockout and a slow start to the season. He is a gold glove caliber second baseman, but of course the Seattle Mariners make that trade uh, before the White Sox can even entertain the idea uh, of acquiring Colton Wan. So this is going to be a sore spot, and I think they're just hoping to throw a lot of players at the brick wall and see who sticks. But they have tried this strategy in the past decade, and we see we we have we have known to see that it could be quite a mess at a position when you really don't have a clear answer for that particular position. Well, it's pretty clear that the trade chip was Hendricks, and now we have that problem, you know, as well. And, you know, we wish him the best, but that was, um, you know, that's obviously a tough deal, not just because you lose Hendricks, because I think we had planned on losing him for some sort of asset to fill these holes anyway. You know, I don't see any other tradable dollars, you know. I don't see what asset that they have that somebody else is going to want, even in terms of trading somebody's gar you know your garbage for somebody else's garbage i'm not sure if that's even there you know i don't i agree with you i don't see it i just don't think a lot of teams have an interest in someone like gavin sheets or even jake Berger, in which i don't i don't see what their clear role is going to be with the chicago white Sox. maybe one of the two makes a 26 
man opening day roster uh, when the regular season starts. But I, I'm not quite sure, Stephen, where Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger fit for the Chicago White Sox until you get some injuries. Well, I think Berger probably doesn't. I think Sheets, you know, you could keep him as a fourth and a half outfielder. Um, he was cert- he showed improvement, I think, at the end of the year last year. You know, he's got some left-handed power, although we like to say that, but he really doesn't have that much power if you actually look at the you know look at the data one other theory that i wanted to run by you the um cigars and sports uh chicago second base conspiracy theory (laughs) do you think now i know that colson montgomery got an invite to spring training colson montgomery is still very young i believe he's 20 or 21 something like that be 21 during the season if he were to go into spring training and he were to hit do you think that there is any chance that we might end up seeing him at second base, given you know the uh, the cast of characters that we have to choose from? I would say no. From what I'm understanding, they're going to try to keep Montgomery at shortstop as long as possible, but the drumbeat is starting to pound louder and louder about a potential move over to third base. When the White Sox drafted Colson Montgomery, everybody immediately thought, this is Tim Anderson's replacement. But with how poor Yohan Makata has hit the last few seasons and how expensive Yohan Makata is getting for the White Sox, and there is an out coming up out of that contract, maybe Montgomery is the future replacement of Yohan Makata at third base. If you're looking for a prospect that could maybe contribute at second base, keep an eye on Jose Rodriguez. He's a top 10 White Sox prospect. He's nicknamed Popeye because of the size of his forearms. He dealt with some injuries last year, but he has a surprising amount of power, and he did impress when he played in the Arizona Fall League back in the 2021 season. He is on the White Sox 40-man roster. So if Lenin Sosa and Romy Gonzalez are absolutely terrible in Arizona, but Jose Rodriguez rakes, there could be your dark horse candidate to possibly start at second base for the White Sox. So, Josh, I got a question for you. You know, though the talk of the White Sox town is obviously consumed by a lot of people with their de- deficiency at second base, which we're talking about here. There's another position that I consider as important, if not more important, especially you know in the grand scheme of baseball itself, and that's a catcher. And yeah. you know, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are, and uh, as far as that position for the White Sox, which I think, to me, is a bigger gaping problem than second base, and that's just my opinion. Yeah, if Yasmani Grandal's knees or back starts barking on him in spring training, uh, your backups right now, and I, this is an area where I'm a bit surprised the White Sox didn't invest a little money, Phil, because backup catchers don't cost a lot. A million, a couple million, maybe $3 million for a really good backup catcher, because behind Yasmani Grandal, Sebi Zavala, and we know now what Sebi Zavala is. Zavala is a good story. I mean, this is an 11th round draft pick that outplayed their first round catcher, Zach Collins, has played more games with the White Sox than Zach Collins in the same draft class. Uh, and he has made it to the majors. Uh, the Sebi Zavala's of the baseball world are few and far in between uh, of reaching the majors. So he is a good story. But to walk into the season in a contending season as your backup catcher behind someone like Yasmani Grandal, who has not not just missed weeks, Phil, he has missed months of time. 
that you are seriously comfortable rolling with the Sebi Zavala and a Carlos Perez catching duo if Yasmani Grandal gets hurt. I feel yeah. like that's a bit risky from a White Sox perspective. And I'm glad that you mentioned it because it is one of the things that we are overlooking as we get ready for the season that, you know, we talk about injuries and depth and catchers one of those issues that if Yasmani Grandal gets hurt, and he has to miss the beginning of the season, you are rolling with Sebi Zavala and Carlos Perez, and that's a pretty significant well, drop. You know, I'm more concerned with Grandal when he's healthy. I mean, even when the guy's healthy, in the last two years, he can barely hit north of 150. And, uh, you know, I think his bat is is a huge concern in that lineup. Huge. To me, it is. Yeah, the thing I'm going to be paying attention to is going to be bat speed. Last year, velocity gave him trouble, and that was a first in a very long time. As a left-handed hitter, Grandal has done really well in his career against fastballs greater than 94 miles per hour from right-handed pitching. He was terrible last year. He had no extra base hits against fastballs at that type of velocity. And Phil and Steve, as you know, right-handers, especially Major League Baseball, they're throwing harder than ever. And that's that trend's not going to reverse. And Unfortunately for Grandal, he can't reverse his aging process. You know, he's going to be a mid-30s catcher pretty soon. And I think when the White Sox signed Grandal in, you know, before the 2020 season, that, okay, we know at the end of his contract he's going to start slowing down. But it really feels like they still need the version of Grandal that burst out in the 2021 season, the second half, when he had that knee surgery. And he just continued to hit for a lot of power for like a month and a half. And that's what they're hoping for here. They're they're hoping that with Grandal being a scratch-off lottery ticket, that he's a winner. And if that strategy doesn't work, yeah, we're going to see a lot of Sebi Zavala and Carlos Perez. Well, it's interesting because I don't think the problem is Sebi Zavala. Meaning, I think that if you had a competent starting catcher that you could count on to play you know, five days a week, mm-hmm. that he'd probably be fine as a backup. I mean, he was a 107 OPS plus last year. You know, he's a certainly fine uh, defensively, slash 270, 347, 382. He's fine. The problem comes, as you mentioned, Josh, if he has to play every day. Yeah. And by the way, if you want um, Zach Collins, I believe he's uh, he's waiting out there for you. you know, <laughs> he, does not have, he does not have a job, which means that obviously he'll be coming back here as the bullpen coach probably over the next <laughs> Uh, six, six months at at, uh, at some point. Can we do a quick White Sox lightning round? Sure. I've got a few questions. Want to get your take on? Phil, feel free to, to chime in here. Who on the current Chicago White Sox roster will hit the most home runs this year? It should be Aloy Jimenez, even though he will play more outfield. The majority of starts should be at DH. I'm thinking 33 home runs for Aloy Jimenez in 2023. Who will play more games, Aloy Jimenez or Luis Robert? Oh, this is a. I really want to say Luis Robert because the White Sox need Luis Robert to play more games. But Luis Robert consistently finds ways to get injured, whether it's leg injuries or a variety of hand injuries. It was the busted hand late last year, but he's also hurt his thumb in the minor league. So I'm going to say Aloy Jimenez ends up playing more games than Luis Robert. Dylan Cease is clearly the White Sox best starting pitcher. Who is the second best starting pitcher? I think it's, yeah, I think it's going to be Lance Lynn. 
And as long as that knee doesn't bark on him, I think the crafty veteran just understands his stuff overall a lot better than Lucas Giolito. We have a lot of questions about Giolito coming to spring training. He's got to be able to throw a lot harder with his fastball, and he just didn't have a really good feel of his changeup and slider in the second half of last year. So right now, I would say going to the season, it's Lance Lynn as the number two. Who will get the most starts at second base? Oh, man. I'm going to go ahead and say Lenin Sosa because eventually the White Sox are going to give up on Romy Gonzalez and they're going to give Lenin Sosa the longest run. And I think age is going to be a factor. I will say about 60 starts for Lenin Sosa at second base this year for the White Sox. Prediction for Andrew Vaughn's numbers. I'm going to go with 22 home runs and 82 RBIs with about a 115 OPS plus or weighted runs created plus. Above average uh, across Major League Baseball, but I am really concerned about his ability to hit sliders, especially against right-handed pitching, and it will spark a huge argument online between all types of fans, casual or even the baseball nerds like myself, understanding who Andrew Vaughn is. That is a good season, but it's not a great season, and it's not on the level of Jose Abreu in his prime. So there'll be a lot of questions going to next season exactly what Andrew Vaughn is. Grandal number uh, predictions. I'm going to go with 14 home runs and like 45 RBIs, and he plays 90 games, which those are pretty good numbers for playing like half a season, but I think the White Sox are only going to get half a season out of Grandal. Who will be the White Sox comeback player of the year? And what I mean by that, as you look at all the guys who underperformed or were injured or, you know, whatever the case may be, which one of those guys do you think will come back and be, you know, the most valuable of that group? While I think Lucas Giolito will bounce back, my pick is going to be Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson went to a driveline lab and he's been working with outside of the White Sox organization to make some adjustments in his swing, specifically looking to pull the ball in the air. Because after all these shortstops signed for all this money, the difference between Tim Anderson and them is that they hit home runs. So look for Tim Anderson to hit for a little bit more power this upcoming season. I think he could hit more than 20 home runs, and I think he could be a three-and-a-half to four-war type of player. If he starts fast, don't be surprised if Tim Anderson is the White Sox representative at the All-Star game. Interesting. Will the White Sox win the division or not? And how many how many wins are you predicting at this point? I could see the White Sox win as many 90 games, and I could see a case where they win only 72 games in 2023. It's a very wide range. At this moment, I still believe Cleveland is the favorite to win the American League Central, and they would be my pick to win the American League Central going into the season. For some reason, I've got like 83, 85 wins swirling in my head for this current White Sox team before we start seeing them on the field. But Steve and Phil, if they go through the same amount of injury luck that they had last year, it's going to be disaster for this team real fast because they just don't have the depth. And we know that they don't have the depth. And I think they understand they don't have the depth as well. There is no magic. Like, you don't have Tony Russa try to conjure up some magic like he did in 2021 with Yermin Mercedes and Jake Lamb and Brian Goodwin pulling these random guys off the street, and they're playing really well. And that saved the White Sox that particular season. Didn't have that magic last year. So if they deal with the, the same amount of injuries as 2022, they're going to be below 500. But if they can keep everyone healthy, yeah, I could see where you should be optimistic that they could win the American League Central. I just don't have a lot of confidence they could stay healthy.
Yeah, well, there's no indicate. I mean, generally, injured guys get injured, right. which is what is concerning me because they're just used to being injured and they find a way to kind of, you know, Byron Buxton themselves or yep. whatever the case may be. And I'm just worried that, unfortunately, the White Sox have got several Byron Buxtons, but, you know, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be wrong about that. So I have one non- White Sox lightning round question, which is prediction for numbers of Jose Abreu. So that left field fence at Houston is going to help Jose Abreu. I think Jose Abreu is going to hit 30 home runs and drive in 110 RBIs. We're all going to be throwing our hands up in the air wondering where was this last year. And I think he's going to get rejuvenated joining a team that's got World Series aspirations. They are the defending world champions. And, man, that Houston Astros team is still really good. So, I, yeah, I've, I'm seeing like 30 home runs, 110 RBIs from a break. Well, he's certainly, they're certainly not going to be pitching around him because there's no. too much around him. So, you know, when there's no doubt about, in my mind, if he stays healthy, he's going to have a good year. That He just couldn't have at the White Sox just because of the lineup that's around him. And that is an interesting point that you make, Phil, because there is there is data to show that based on the people that Abreu has around him, that he is a much more difficult out. You know, where where he got used to at one point, you know, Jimenez hitting behind him before he did the before he threw his shoulder over the wall in spring training and that whole thing. So I do agree that that's um, that's going to be an issue. No, Josh, I've got a couple questions for you here. So. We all know there's been some significant changes to the rules in Major League Baseball. Kind of exciting coming in this year. There are a lot of question marks. So something you touched on earlier that I had been concerned about, and it's going to uh, address, let's say, the White Sox with their lack of starting pitching depth. How do you think the pitch clock is going to affect starting pitchers as far as injury-related? Do you think the Sox have a staff that can adapt to that, especially a team that has had a propensity for a lot of weird injuries over the last few years? So they answered that part about the depth, no. Uh, The White Sox have Davis Martin, and names that White Sox fans have to be familiar with. Sean Burke, uh, who pitched in double-A, is the next guy up, is the top pitching prospect for the White Sox as far as getting closer to the major leagues. Matthew Thompson, former second-round pick for the Chicago White Sox a couple of years ago, was a name dropped by Chris Getz during his press conference today to talk about the White Sox minor leagues as they announced their coaching staff across the levels. And then we'll see, Phil. Uh, they have, they have, I can't, I've been doing this for 10 years, and I cannot sit down with a pen and paper, come up with a roster for the Charlotte Knights. I don't know where the White Sox are going to be finding players to fill out a AAA roster. That's how little depth that they have right now. Yeah, I can already see Jimmy Lambert uh, stretching out in spring training. That could be a possibility. Right, as soon as the first pitching injury comes. And if you remember, we were ready to throw Jimmy Lambert into the trash heap before he showed to be somewhat effective, you know, coming out of the bullpen. But I think we may see some really – I think we may see some stuff – based on the depth situation that we never thought of seeing. I mean, I wouldn't be – some people are talking about Ronaldo Lopez being the closer. Don't be surprised if Ronaldo Lopez is in the rotation by, you know, May 20th. I just think that this pitch clock is going to take a lot more than spring training for these pitchers to get used to, for many of them to get used to. Obviously, if you have some that are like a Burley or that have pitched like that their whole career, 
Uh, but I think a majority of these pitchers, it's going to it's going to be a little bit of a uh, learning curve for them, and avoiding injury, I think, is going to be a big deal. Yeah. So uh, on the pitch clock, Lance Lynn may need to make some adjustments, but I don't think Cease Gilito Kopech need to make a lot of adjustments because they've been used to a pitch clock in the minor leagues when they were developing with the White Sox. So they should they know what the pitch clock is like. The older guys know they have never dealt with the pitch clock before relievers fill the bullpen guys take forever to throw the baseball that is where we're going to see a big adjustment is just how long it takes relievers to get the ball out of their hands late in the game because some of these guys fill they take like 30 seconds between pitches and it just completely slows down the game so they could throw as hard as possible they're not going to have that luxury this year You're right do you believe that um, velocity will be inevitably impacted by the pitch clock it could for relievers. I do not think for the starting pitchers. So what do you think about elimination of the shift in general? And you know, how do you think it affects the White Sox? With the elimination of the shift, I think it kind of handcuffs the creativity of a manager defensively. But we're already getting thoughts from opposing GMs in which if you have someone, and I don't think highly of him, but like Lurie Garcia, who could fake playing infield and outfield, in a late-game situation, the ninth inning, a softball strategy put Lurie Garcia in the outfield, but put him behind second base, and that kind of gives you your fifth infielder, but he's in the grass. He's not in the dirt, so he's legal to be there. And then you put your outfielders in the gaps, where you could have Ben Attendee and Robert in the gaps. Uh as a as a possible defensive alignment, we, we could see there's going to be changes in the outfield, and I think all teams are mentioning that right now they're going to try some really weird stuff during spring training and how they shift the outfielders. So we'll see. And again, I, I'm okay with Anderson with the shift; he could take care as far as range is concerned. But this is where we have so many questions about the range of Romy Gonzalez and Lenin Sosa. Can they move? Because we don't know a whole lot about Andrew Vaughn's ability to play first base in the major leagues. We know that he played the position in college, but does he have the range like Jose Abreu did at first base? Uh, There's so many questions about range factor at second and first base for the White Sox that I don't know until we see them in action. And that should worry people when you don't know for certain if your team's going to be strong or not on that side of the infield with the shift ban. And we also know that although in a limited sample, that Andrew Vaughn is not necessarily even good at first base, meaning that he, he, yes, he played there in college, but if you take a look at the, you know, if you look at, take a look at some of the data, you know, again, in, in a limited amount of games at first base, I'm not convinced that he's even necessarily going to be better than Abreu. And Abreu was not great. Uh, and, you know, I'm worried about it. I mean, I'm just worried in general that the White Sox are worse than they were last year, and they were clearly disappointing last year. Because, we, yeah, I mean, the one thing that we haven't said, although it's been implied several times, yes, they also happen to lose their best player, Jose Abreu, in addition to all these other issues. Right. So any thoughts on the on the uh, the bigger bases and sort of the limited you know throws over to first base that sort of thing? I think that's I, my take on that is what might the unintended consequences be of that as well. But yeah, I think we're at a, it depends on the team. I think we could see some managers give the green light to certain players. 
Ronald Acuna Jr., the Atlanta Braves, is like eyeing up a 40-40 season. Like he wants to hit 40 home runs and he wants to steal 40 bags. And if he always has the green light, we could see individual players being far more aggressive and maybe managers have to rope those guys in, like reel them in and be like, okay, I need you to stop running all the time because you're, you're getting thrown out at second base. And we may see catchers make some adjustments, especially trying to make that transition from glove to throwing motion and getting the ball down to second base and see on how catchers can quicken that time frame as well. But from a White Sox perspective, they didn't run because if they ran hard, they got hurt. So I, I don't know what we're going to see from Pedro Grafal, and I'm curious to see on how the White Sox played spring training games. If he decides to change the strategy of no, we're gonna we're gonna try to run, and if they get hurt, they get hurt, they get hurt. But we're gonna try to be more aggressive on the pace bats because the White Sox have not been aggressive the last few years. Well, if they extend their sliding mittens a few more inches, that should help them too. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how that works out. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the uh, the oven mitt. You know, the other thing I think that will play an impact that no one's really talking about much is the World Baseball Classic uh-huh. in that the there is not a pitch clock, at least in my understanding, of the World Baseball Classic. And that is going to throw some guys off. And unfortunately, the White Sox have a disproportionate of guys also um, participating in that. And, you know, I'm just waiting to hear about um, Aloy Jimenez's injuries in the WBC. Any any thoughts on that? And by the way, and as you know, Phil, I am going to the WBC in the uh, initial uh, initial pool round in Phoenix. So. Nice. Yeah, so I don't know how much playing time Aloy Jimenez is going to have, Steve, because have you seen that roster for the Dominican Republic? Oh, my like, God. I'm, I'm shocked he made it. Uh, <laughs> it's just yeah, an right. incredibly yeah. stacked lineup. Yeah. Uh, Luis Robert and Yohan Mikata are going to play almost every single game for Team Cuba. That's where – and Tim Anderson, I think, is going to be the backup to Trey Turner. Lance Lynn is going to make some starts for Team USA because pitching is always an issue at the World Baseball Classic. So I don't know how much playing time Eloy Jimenez is going to have, but you know Robert and Mikata and Anderson and Lynn, yeah, they're exposing themselves. And for you know Lynn, he was ready to go, and then he hurt himself in his last spring training start. And that brought in Johnny Cueto to the White Sox, which they got lucky there. But we did not see Lance Lynn until June. So it is definitely going to be holding your breath when you see Lance Lynn pitch for Team USA, even though you're conflicted. You want Lance Lynn to do well because as Americans, we'd love to see Team USA win the World Baseball Classic again. But you want to see Lance Lynn hop off that mound, not hurt. (laughs) And if they can avoid injury at all. Uh, that would be great. But, yeah, these guys are exposing themselves because the level of play is at a high level compared to spring training games. Yeah, the uh, Dominican Republic roster is amazing. The U.S. roster is just off the chart. I yeah. mean, that outfield um, is just ridiculous. I mean, really, it's ridiculous in every position. Um, they, you know, the pitching is not, you know, as deep as, as the, uh, the everyday players are, but it's unbelievable, you know, as well as, uh, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, um, and, and I guess, you know, a couple of other teams, but those are obviously the, the teams to watch. Josh, 
Thanks for coming today. We really appreciate it. Um, we've learned a lot of White Sox uh, from you. We really appreciate you joining us. By the way, uh, definitely you can uh, catch up with Josh on the Sox Machine podcast, um, something that I rarely miss. You can also uh, read up on uh, SoxMachine.com, a lot of intelligent content there. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Phil. Uh, Josh, it was an honor meeting you. Great to have you. We're definitely going to get you on the top of our uh, guest Rolodex here and hopefully get you back on the show again <laughs> as the season uh, yeah. uh, progresses. Well, Phil, we had a heavy dose of White Sox tonight, and obviously we love that. Appreciate uh, Josh Nelson joining us. It was uh, it was fantastic. So the Super Bowl, you know, the uh, the championship games were, at least one of them was interesting. Um, the other one, not so much. But uh, we got Eagles minus two. I guess you know we'll, we'll get more into this before the Super Bowl. But what are your what are your thoughts on this game? Looking forward to it. You know, what do you think the key matchups are? Thoughts? Well, I mean, of course, the key to everything is Mahomes' ankle. Um, so let's hope that his ankle is good because you know you always like to see the best athletes playing at their best. So especially in the best game. So uh, you know, let's assume his ankle is going to be. You know, uh, seventy to eighty percent. With that being the case, uh, I think it's going to be a great game. He's going. He's going against a really formidable defense there with the Eagles. Um, so, uh, you know, and then of course the Eagles at quarterback are uh, no slouch either. You got the probably the MVP of the league at quarterback and the runner-up. So, uh, I think it's actually has played out with uh, two teams that are going to. We're actually going to see a pretty good Super Bowl because in the grand scheme of things. Uh, many of them aren't very exciting, but I think this one uh, should be a pretty good game. Yeah, a really good point that Phil just made, that if you're wondering about the importance of the quarterback in the NFL, we have the likely MVP and the very likely runner-up to the MVP in this game. So if you think you don't need a quarterback, you do. Um, I am probably a slight lean to Philly right now, and they are a they are a slight favorite. I agree with the fact that it's difficult to bet against Mahomes. That said, Philly is really good on both sides of the ball. Their defense just wrecked that game the other day. I mean, obviously San Francisco had uh, you know a number of uh, quarterback issues, and I do mean a number specifically. Um, but you know, I think I'm a I'm a slight lean to Philly, and we'll get more into the detail on that in our next episode. So, Phil, it was fun. Cool. It was great, and uh, you know, thanks for showing up. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you next time. Adios. We'll see ya. She never come up soon for there. Sweet blossom, come on under the willow. We can have high times if you look back. We can discover the wonders of nature. Rolling in the brushes down by the riverside.